Have you ever asked yourself what can go wrong when investing in apartments? What challenges do investors face when dealing with such a large asset class? Well, on the No BS Apartment Investing Podcast, we place expert professionals on the hot seat, ask them the tough questions that may be running through your mind, all while removing the fluff that comes with apartment investing. We aim to put your mind at ease while showing you that investing in apartments is the way to financial freedom. And now for your host, Mark Caesar. Awesome. Welcome, everyone, to the No BS Apartment Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mark Caesar. And today I have an esteemed guest who I who I admire a lot, Mr. Jim Bakes. Uh, great man, great mentor, official, officially, uh, very helpful, very knowledgeable in his space. And I appreciate the fact that he took the time not to be the first guest on this on this podcast. And for those who don't know Mr. Jim, uh, Jim is currently the founding partner of Jim Roma Enterprises, where his skills in business management, sales, marketing, and finance, deal structure, and community development are being utilized to apply his lifelong interest in real estate investing to enhance the value for his investors and his personal investment in multi family commercial real estate. Uh, Jim's company also controls real estate interests in Illinois, five single family residences, two apartment buildings, and three apartment complexes in Texas, totaling to the amount of 250 units, as well as an 88 unit in Oklahoma. Jim serves as a key principal for both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and has a liquidity network to help close your deal any deal as a co-sponsor, GP, and key principal. His partnership controls 341 units as a general partner, 867 units as a limited partner, all in the states of Illinois, Texas, Oklahoma, and Arizona. Now, Jim does have a stellar record and also has a stellar bio, but we're going to let Jim do the further introduction, Um, you know, just divulge more about his background. So Jim, I want to welcome you to this amazing platform. Thank you, sir, for being on with us today. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be here and especially excited. Uh, as I said to you offline, uh, I love the name of the podcast and the uh, the direction that I think it's going to go. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So um, based on the back, the bio, I hope I did it enough justice, but feel free to, to tell us a little more about yourself in your own words and what our listeners can um, know more about you, basically. Yeah, I think that um, uh, the only piece that uh, I would add is that I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life um, and that I've owned several different businesses. Uh, and being 63 years old, uh, old enough to have had a lot of mistakes and missteps and uh, and hiccups in my career. Uh, And I think that uh, as long as you don't continue to repeat those over and over and you can learn something from them, uh, it will move you forward. I think that uh, you learn more from the things that you do wrong uh, than the things that you do right. And so I'm excited to uh, share some of that with folks. And I will also say that uh, the only other piece uh, that might not have been there in the bio is that one of my biggest uh, mistakes in my life uh, caused me to have one of the best years of my life, which is this last um, 12 months, we have started the GOB Network uh, and uh, that uh, GOBnetwork.com has been really a passion of mine. 
um, that has come to fruition that it would never been there had I not made a huge mistake last year. Awesome. Uh, as a fellow member and affiliate of the GOB Network, I can you please tell us what exactly is the GOB Network and what that mistake was that brought this amazing platform to fruition? Well, basically, for, you know, I tell people still today that I want to be a real estate investor when I grow up. And uh, what that uh, what that means in my mind is that uh, I have continually been struggling to reach the level of success that I want personally uh, in that space. But I've been pulled away from it um, by life circumstances many, many times throughout my adult life. And each time I got pulled away um, and would come back to it, I would do what most people uh, say is, you know, the one, the number one, uh, I heard this morning, the, the, the number one investment that you can make, the best single investment that you can make. And that perks up everyone's ears because it's like, oh my God, you know, I've been investing all these years. What's the best? Is it gold? Is it crypto? What is it? And uh, in my mind, first thought that came to my mind is real estate. Uh, but it's not. It's in yourself. The number one investment you can make is in yourself. And so I've always bought into that also. And I don't disagree with it. But I think there's a lot of false narrative that comes with that. And so I've had a lot of mentors in my lifetime. I've had a lot of education in my lifetime. But all of it left me wanting more. I always felt there was something missing. And so the GOB network is a response to that. And I, the only reason I never started it earlier is I had blinders on. I was so focused on my success, so focused on building um, my own personal uh, wealth that uh, it didn't allow me the, the, uh, to see a bigger picture and to see something uh, bigger than me. And maybe that's age. Maybe it's the fact that I had uh, I, I lost so much money in one deal that I literally uh, had made my mind up that I'm going to retire and go play golf three or four times a week. And uh, and that's going to be, you know, I, I'm just going to enjoy myself. Uh, and having made that decision, uh, I flew to Hawaii and spent a month or so out there and uh, with my kids uh, with and, and my grandson. And I had an epiphany that said, I finally had the blinders off that I could do something that would be bigger than me. I could do something that would leave a legacy. I could do something that I was passionate about, which was trying to, I don't want to say fix the uh, this uh, training, mentoring guru arena, but to add to something to it that wasn't there. And so the GOB network is basically my answer to that. And it's built on, on a three-legged uh, stool, a three-legged business idea platform that comes from the tech industry, which is open source, a hive mind, kind of a Wikipedia of real estate, if you will, and a freemium model. So we want to, uh, for people that are actively participating on the platform, we want them to keep the 30 grand, 50 grand that you would normally invest in your education and instead invest it in an actual deal. Because we believe that being in a deal is the best teacher. And so we want to, everything that you would normally pay 
30 or 50 grand for uh, to be on someone else's platform. We want to provide all of that and more on the GOB network, but at the same time, do it in such a way that we all benefit from investing in deals, not from investing in someone else's pocket. Because let's be honest, what are they going to do with that? If they truly believe in what they're uh, teaching you, they're going to go invest it in a deal. So why not follow their lead and go invest your money in a deal? And so that's, that's uh, uh, in essence, what the GOB network is. Awesome. Awesome. And that's um, just to add in, that's one of the greatest things that caught my attention when I initially heard of GOB. And your tagline is you don't invest in markets, you don't invest in deals, you invest in people. And that resonated with me. And when we spoke about GOB and the the frame that you established with GOB really uh, caught my attention, which is why I back it 100% is the fact that you're looking to be a go-giver. You're looking to help people better themselves and actually gain the full advantage that multifamily or real estate, whatever aspect of it is, can provide. Now, I, this may sound very redundant or so, but do you face any blowback with your platform? Because I know there are a ton of other platforms, like uh, likewise the GOB, but they're paid for, do you face any blowback or do you worry about facing any blowback from the competitors out there who are charging $20,000, $30,000? Yeah, I really thought when I started this that uh, I wasn't in competition with uh, any of those other platforms uh, because 80% of the people that will um, that are curious about these platforms, they'll go to a weekend event uh, and 80% of them will never join. And um, it was the 80% that didn't join, that I was targeting. Uh, and then the people that do join, the 20% that join, you can then divide that again by 80%. 80% of those people uh, will drop out of those programs, will never succeed at those programs. And so the reality is you get down to, you know, in percentages a very, very small percent of people that actually succeed in those programs. And so that's who we were looking to help. We were looking to help the people that decided to keep their money in their pocket and try to figure out a way to do this on their own or the people who felt like the program had failed them. And so I really didn't feel like I was in competition with them. I didn't feel I was a threat to anyone. Uh, but uh, if this last year has proven anything to me, it's proven that I was absolutely wrong. Uh, there, uh, um, there, are, there have been a lot of challenges, which I knew there would be, which is one of the reasons I wanted it to be open source and a hive mind. I'm not the smartest tool in the, uh, the shed, the sharpest tool in the shed, the smartest guy in the room. But if I surround myself with 300 uh, or 3,000 other like-minded people, that hive mind will most definitely be the smartest in the room. And so um, I, I didn't want to... Uh, be so audacious to believe that I had all the answers. And, uh, and, and so um, that's part of the reason we built the program the way that we did. And, and uh, there has been um, uh, some blowback. And uh, am I afraid of it? No. Um, you know, I, I think in the long run, if you look at, uh, if you're in the tech industry and you can think back 40 years ago, if you're my age, and to the beginning of Microsoft and, and Apple and over in Europe, a little thing called Linux. And Linux was an open source platform. And everyone thought that it had no chance whatsoever 
uh, at success. And today, 40 years uh, later, I mean, it is the most popular operating system in the world, most popular in Europe and outside the U.S. for sure. And what most people don't know is that the backbone for most operating systems, even here in the U.S., is Linux. So Microsoft uses Linux as what it's built upon. And half of Microsoft's um, programming, half of Facebook's programming, half of uh, Oracle and, and, and all these big, big tech companies is now open source. So that is all the evidence that I need that that's the right path to follow. Now, is it fast? Is it, uh, you know, are you going to are you going to win overnight? No, it's a it's a very long view of how to succeed. But um, but yeah, hopefully that answers that. But I, I do want to say, though, that um, not to, to spend all the time talking about the GOB network uh, and, and not to necessarily um talk about these programs and other people's programs, because I don't want to dwell on, on that. I, these programs, look, I've been a part of half a dozen of them, and I took something positive from every one of them. But I do believe very fervently that if I would have put the 30 grand that I put into the, you know, the individual program, I would have learned so much more just putting it into an apartment deal, especially early on especially your first, second, or third deal. You'll learn so much more. Now, even if I hadn't put it directly into a deal, even if I put it in indirectly as a passive investor, I still think there's a lot more to learn um, by having your money invested in a deal. And the money, the good thing is, is that the money will make money. You know, it, it's it's a direct uh, benefit. It's not an indirect benefit where I'll teach you something, but now me telling you how to catch a fish is not the same as putting the pole in your hand and baiting the hook and telling you, okay, drop it in the water. You know, it's it, that's that's direct. You're doing the fishing. Me telling you how to catch a fish and how to cast and how to, you know, that's indirect. It may or may not pay off. If you don't put action behind it, then it was wasted time. It was wasted money. But had I had I not had a huge, huge setback in my own life, uh, I would have never started this. Understood. Well said. I, and again, I, I want to thank you and commend you for taking the blinders off and taking that step, even though it might be scary, but you took the step in the initiative and here we are today. GOB has grown tremendously and with so many great minds part of the process it's it's i i can see the future is the sky's the limit with gob for sure so to segue into uh multifamily i know that's the that's the title of the show that's what we all um we all believe in why multifamily what uh attracted you to multifamily well number one uh i think that uh if you look at real estate investing uh as a whole that most people get started with single family rentals. Most people get started uh, fixing and flipping or, you know, long-term buy and hold or the Burr strategy, but it's all single family. And probably 80% of the people that consider themselves real estate investors are investing in single family assets. But the longer you're in the game and the more successful you are at being a real estate investor, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to wind up investing in apartment buildings. And the, re the biggest reasons um, 
are the efficiencies. You know, the idea that uh, the larger you go, you have um, one house or one apartment building. You know, uh, so if we had uh, an apartment building with 100 units in it versus somebody who owns 100 single family homes, number one, having everything in one place, you know, you don't have 100 roofs to inspect. You don't have, um, you know, 100 um, different lots spread out across a large geographical area. You have everything in one place. You know, so management becomes so much easier in, in an apartment complex than it does with single family. Uh, if the efficiencies of management, being able to have on-site staff, being able to have an on-site leasing agent, uh, all of the things that you need to be successful and and not to create a second job for yourself uh, is easier if you do it through apartment investing. And so I think that the proof is in the pudding, that the fact that everybody eventually gets there should be, as Tony Robbins said, a clue, you know, success leaves clue. Yes. That should be a clue that that's where you're going to go. So why not start there? And the other piece of apartment investing is, you know, there's two sides. There's the active and the passive side to apartment investing. And most people think they want to be active investors. They think they want to be on the GP, the general partnership side, instead of the passive investor on the LP side or limited partners. And what most people fail to realize is how much work goes into, if you're investing with single family, you know how much work there is to do that. And regardless of what most of these uh, gurus are telling you, there's a lot more work to buying uh, an apartment building than there is to buying a single family. Uh, and it takes a ton of time. Most of these deals are at minimum, you're working on them for six months to a year. And, uh, you know, and, and that's not only building up the cache of uh, intelligence, but uh, your broker network, your financing network, your, in, you know, investor network, all the things that go with it. The people that I see, even very successful people um, in other businesses and very successful real estate investors in the single family side, once they start investing in large apartment buildings, seldom do I see them succeed in under a year. Seldom. Yeah, this is very true. Um, it, the active side of multifamily is very time consuming and it takes uh, a lot of effort. And I think a lot of people are... Well, a lot of people are being misinformed out there that the active side is the is the fun side. Sometimes, you know, if you don't have the time allocated to actually putting forth an hour or two or three a day to source deals, to do the, the grunt work, you definitely won't succeed. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Now, for you, um, you have, it seems, as I read, alluded to earlier in your bio, you have well over... I would say a little over a thousand doors in your portfolio and you are a key principal in a lot of them. Can you elaborate exactly what a key principal is and how did you come about being part of so many door, um, deals and having so many doors in your portfolio? Yeah. So a key principal, uh, typically what most people define as the key principal is the person that has the net worth, liquidity, and experience, uh, and, and the experience piece uh, usually is, we define that as your schedule of real estate owned. 
uh, SREO is the is the um, you know abbreviation that most of the banks are using, and so they want uh, your key principal to have all of these pieces in order for you to qualify for agency debt. And agency debt is Fannie and Freddie, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the quasi-government entities that finance probably 80% of all of these large apartment deals. Uh, it's not the only way. There are other uh, lenders in the space, but they do the vast majority of them. And so they have certain requirements that your net worth needs to be equal to the amount of money you're borrowing, that your liquidity uh, as a rule of thumb needs to be equal to 12 months of operating um, uh, proceeds or 10% of that loan amount, and that you need to have um, experience with Fannie and Freddie. Typically, what they want is that they want to see that you've done at least three deals, Fannie and Freddie agency deals, within the last 24 months. And so that's a rolling number. It always So it's always you know changing. Um, and they want to see that you have um, deals in the same geographical location. So those can be very, very big challenges to overcome, uh, especially if you're relatively new in the business. They can be uh, insurmountable. And so again, going back to the GOB network, we try to provide all those pieces for you if you're struggling to meet some of those hurdles. And so that's that's how I would define a KP. All right, well said. So to to take all that into consideration, multifamily is definitely a team sport. You need pieces around you to succeed. Now, when you started, did you jump jump in on both feet first and start yourself, or did you take the time out to build a solid team and eventually get to where you are now? No, I like to think that I'm conservative, um, but in reality, my actions are the opposite of that. I typically just jump in the deep end of the pool, uh, and that's what I, I've done um, most of my life and most of my endeavors. And so when I made the pivot from single family to multifamily, uh, I, I literally went out and bought uh, two small apartment buildings like right away. Uh, so uh, taking action has never really been my problem, uh, and uh, but I do have a lot of other problems. Uh, so, you know, you need to have a strong team to help you overcome those other shortcomings. Uh, so my wife is a, a, an extremely valuable piece of that team uh, because she is very conservative. And so that acts as a little bit of a, a, a balance. Um, you know, I kind of think I think of it as an anchor on a ship. It keeps me from drifting too uh, too far afloat, um, and and helps me stay where I need to be and to stay grounded. But uh, in addition to that, uh, I also started. Um, I, I I joined a couple of different mentoring programs uh, to try to see if that would help me do this faster. Um, and in in reality. Um, I found it very, very difficult to speed up the process. And so I started looking for other ways. And, and there's money is a great equalizer. If you have money, um, you know, that that will allow you to do a lot of different things. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I had no I, I was I was the uh, the millionaire next door. Uh, the first time I bought an apartment building, I had no idea what my net worth was. I had never, I didn't know what a PFS is. So a PFS is another acronym, meaning personal financial statement. It's something that you have to fill out every time you want to get a commercial loan. 
and the banks are going to ask for it. And so when I filled out my first one and bought my very first apartment building, uh, I think I was worth 1.1 million. And I had no clue. If you would have asked me, I would have said, I don't know, 100 or 200,000 maybe, you know, because, you know, whatever you're making as a, as a yearly salary, that kind of, in my mind, defined what you were worth. Um, and so, um, so I, I realized very early on that I had some value in regard to my PFS, uh, my schedule of real estate on, and also my liquidity. A lot of people get into this business and they start investing uh, so fast, they run out of money very quickly. And so they no longer have the liquidity that the bank requires. So if you've got uh, a big PFS or a, uh, a big net worth, uh, you may be able to partner with other people that don't, but they have a deal. Or if they're, they have the net worth and they have the deal, but they're lacking the liquidity, you may be able to provide the liquidity that they need in order to get the deal done. You know, so there's lots of different ways uh, to get into a deal. But if you have neither the net worth or the liquidity or the experience that the bank is looking for, but if you're a hustler and you can go out there and build relationships and find a deal, then you just have to find that other partner or partners because it doesn't have to be one person. As a matter of fact, seldom is it one person. Usually you have a, a, a anywhere from one to three different KPs on a deal. Awesome, awesome. So shift, shifting gears a bit, we all know the amazing things that multifamily provides. Cash flow, what we typically call mailbox money. It provides the tax benefits. It provides a, a slew of different things. Now, being that you're on the hot seat, and of course, the name of this podcast is No BS Apartment Investing, can you share an experience that you've undergone or you went through within the space that scared you and that caught you by surprise? And how did you overcome that obstacle? Well, uh the one that scared me the most, I did not really overcome. So I, I just lost a huge amount of money. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's not the first time uh, that I've had that kind of experience. One of the things I'll say, the, the hardest thing in life, I think, is vetting partners and being able to find good partners. Uh, it's a skill set that um, my, I, I really don't consider myself very good at it. Um, my my method is trial and error, you know, so I, I trust people. I take them at their word. Uh, and I've been in a lot of partnerships where uh, that's proven to be disastrous and the partnership uh, proved to be disastrous. And so I've had a lot of setbacks in my life where I've invested into a business uh, and into a bad partnership. And um, and so the but the biggest lesson uh, and the one that really uh, scared me the most wasn't that. It was the last one um, because it was the probably the largest amount of money that I've ever lost. Uh, and it was at a point in my life where I was already retired from any other pursuits other than real estate. In other, in other words, um, I'm generally at an age where most people think they're past their prime earning years. And so I'm supposed to be living off my investments. And to have such a huge chunk of that taken away will scare the living daylights out of you. And it did me too. That's why I decided, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue to take these kinds of risks and put my retirement, but more importantly, 
my wife's retirement in jeopardy. I can't afford to put my family's uh, well-being over the next 20, 30 years in jeopardy. And that's why I decided to get out of the game. And um, so um, how did I overcome that? Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I did. My, I did a lot of things to pivot to try to fix it. And I learned a ton. But the biggest takeaway was starting the GOB network and um, and doing that to try to help other people not make the same mistakes uh, that I have made in the past and to try to give them uh, some guidance, you know, to to make them better prepared. And one of the things that I do want to say is that being in an apartment investor is probably one of the least, um, it's one of the least risky investments that you can make. So if you're investing in the stock market and uh, and most of us are, and or mutual funds uh, or cryptocurrency or, um, you know, any of these other things that people typically invest in, real estate offers you on a risk adjusted basis a far superior investment, a far superior investment. And most of these things only pay you in one or two ways, either direct uh, appreciation of the stock. uh, And if you're lucky, some of them will pay a small dividend. Real estate pays you probably five different ways. And so it's just on a risk adjusted basis, a much better investment vehicle. But if you want to make it even less risky, be on the LP side of the deal be a passive investor. Because if you are, and you're investing in good sponsors, then that again, lowers your risk. Because the big uh, deal that we lost last year, we gave all of our investors that were in that deal with us their money back. So the deal did not make it to closing. And so all the money we had raised, we returned 100% of it to our investors. And if you're with a good sponsor, that's what they will do. Now, I don't want to imply that that's the norm, you know, because when you invest in a deal, uh, you can, all your money is at risk. The PPM will say all your money's at risk. And we didn't have to return that money because, you know, a lot of sponsors that are doing this, they don't have a lot of capital. And so they'll use some of that money to capitalize the deal. And we, Fortunately, uh, we're not in that position. We didn't need that money to capitalize the deal. So we took the hit uh, on the deal and did not expose any of our investors. So being a limited partner, I think, is an even safer bet. But the great thing about being a passive investor or a limited partner or an LP is that it's not an eight-hour-a-day job. You know, it's probably a two-hour-a-month job where you're just reviewing um, your financials and and staying on top of of how the property is doing and reading a couple of reports. And so it's a much easier uh, path in if you have the ability to be a passive investor. Awesome. So you mentioned that uh, one of the issues are in various business um, endeavors that you've been involved in, the vetting process for potential partners and so forth, and you've been burned by a few. Can you elaborate exactly like, what do you look for when you're vetting now that you've had the experience and you've undergone the, through the, you've undergone the trial? What is your vetting process? What do you look for? What do you ask and so forth? 
Yeah, so I, I think there's no great answer for this. Um, there's not even a good rule of thumb answer for this. Um, but I think that um, a good friend of mine um, said to me that one of the things that he does when he's trying to bet a sponsor is very early on, uh, he will say, look, I do a background check on uh, all of my sponsors. Uh, is that going to be an issue? Is there anything that's going that I'm going to find that's going to come up, uh, you know, once I do a background check on you? And if there that question alone, um, I, I think is is one of the the better ways that I've ever heard because people, if they really believe that you're about to go undergo a background check, they're going to want to get in front of anything that might come up that's negative. You know, so I, I think that that's uh, that's a great question to ask. But um, um, short of that. Um, I, I still, to this day, am a seat of the pants uh, investor. I want to believe that people in, in uh, are are generally good people, and that they want to do the right thing. And so I, you know, I really, um, I, I think you get a very visceral reaction to people within the first few times that you have conversations with them, and and I trust that gut instinct. And 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 I I think that it's something that most of us do. Um, I think there's so many things going on subconsciously that we're not aware of that you're in, inherently drawn to certain types of people. And the only caveat that I will have to that is uh, I would say don't pick partners that have the same strength that you have. So if you're both great underwriters, but you're horrible at raising capital, you're not a good fit for each other, you know, especially not in the very early days. Now, as you grow uh, as a business, you may need more than one um, underwriter. You may need more than one capital raiser. So you can start to duplicate those positions. But in the very, very early days, you need someone who's good at finding, uh, you need somebody who's good at relationships and, and uh, are comfortable speaking with brokers um, and also um, good at underwriting a deal. And, and a lot of times those can be the same person, but sometimes they're not. You know, sometimes the, the person um, is, um, is so, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Shy, uh, introverted, that uh, they may be excellent in a spreadsheet, but they just have a really hard time building relationships with people. And so you, you want to find a good balance to, to who you are. Um, and um, yeah, there's, there's I, I, could, I could say a lot of other things like, you know, find a sponsor who's already done X number of deals, find a sponsor who's been in the business for X number of years, find a sponsor who's uh, gone full cycle on X number of deals. But if I told you that, that would eliminate 80% of the deals that you could get into. It would eliminate 80% of the partnerships that you would be able to build because those people don't need you. So <laughs> it's going to become very, very difficult. Um, so I don't think there's a, uh, I, I personally have not found a great answer for that. Still looking for it. So. Understood. Now as a limited partner who's investing passively in a deal, what exactly 
what what should I look for? Should I look for someone who's experienced, who's done this for five, 10 years, or can I take a total novice who just started, you know, a year ago? And can I trust them with my hard earned money that I've uh, allocated, you know, 20, 30 years of my time to provide me some form of return based on that opportunity? What would be your, your recommendation to that? So most of us, when we get started, um, we either do this by ourselves, maybe a single family home, maybe if we're lucky, we've got a good job. And so we're able to buy something bigger. And so we start with a five uh, unit apartment building, a 10 unit, 20 unit apartment building. But eventually almost all of us will get to a point where we run out of our own money. And that's the critical uh, point at which you have to start answering some of these questions. And so if we start off with, let's say a 20 unit apartment building or a 50 unit apartment building, most of us are going to raise on the first deal that we have to raise capital from friends and family. Most every single one of us will start with friends and family. And there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, and, and those are the people that you're most likely to be successful raising capital from if they have any money because they already know you and like you. And, uh, you know, it, I think it's Dan Hanford who says uh, people have to know, like and trust you in order to invest with you. Um, and and um, that's probably been said for a hundred years. So, but I'll give Dan credit for it. Um, but so you've already overcome two of the big obstacles when you're raising money with friends and family. And I will say to you that as a limited partner, as a passive investor, knowing someone and trusting them are uh, the hardest pieces to to know. And so if you start, you could start, would it be a better deal for you to invest with me on your very first deal? And you've only known me for three or four months? Or would it be better for you to invest with a total novice who's never bought an apartment building, but you know them, you've known them your entire life, and you know where they live, you know who their family is, you know what their W-2 job is, you know what they've done good in their life, what they've done bad in their life. You know so much more about them than you do about me. I would say, even though I need your money, that you're better off investing with the novice investor. And because you, you the know, like, and trust is already there, as opposed to me. Um, it's very, very difficult. There's so many big sponsors that are on the internet that only talk about their successes, never talk about their failures. So they all look like they're experts that have never failed. They look wildly successful. And it's that Facebook phenomenon. Everybody's got a great life. Everybody's got the best children. They live, the, you know, they never have a bad day. You know, it's false. And you need to realize that it's false. But the bad news is that it's almost impossible for you to find out anything about their bad deals. You know, did any investors lose money? You know, how close to Performa did they come? It's very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to find out. And so take your time to know, like, and trust the sponsor before you jump in a deal. And I think that knowing the sponsor um, is the most important part of the deal. It's more important 
than the deal itself. It's more important than the location of the property. It's more important than the growth rate of that particular submarket. It's more important than the uh, 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 status of, of how many employers are in that market. You know, the person, if I invest with um, that first deal with a total novice, but I know they're a good person, I know that they have my best interest at heart. And I know that if things start to go bad, that I can go knock on the door and say, dude, what's going on? You know, they have to respond to me. They can't hide behind a social media um, persona. Well said, well said. Well, I, I know the, I, I'm not sure who wrote that quote, but they always say that real estate is a people business. So you definitely must be able to, as you alluded to, know, like, and trust before you can do business. And I think that's a universal law. Again, I don't want to invest with somebody I don't know because you might run away with my money. And we hear that very so often. And I'm glad that you, you're able to, break that down in depth for our listeners to understand that it is important to vet who you're dealing with, vet who you're starting a business with. Because again, this it when you're especially in multifamily, when you're jumping into business with somebody, you're basically marrying that person for X amount of years. So you want to make sure that that person had not only has your best interest at heart, but also they have your family's best interest at heart as well because your money is tied to whoever your your family is and so forth. So we're gonna wind down right now. Um, let's uh, one more question for you, Jim. What are your what are let's say your top three tips for your for our listeners? Like what what would you tell your um, our listeners today that would resonate with that you feel is important when looking at multifamily or any business um, endeavors? So if you want to create a full time job, then start investing in single family real estate and apartment buildings on the GP side. If you want to just be a very successful real estate investor and not create a full-time job, start investing as an LP. Uh, Start investing as a passive investor. Um, I'll tell you that the deals that that I'm a passive investor on are, uh, I, I make more money on those deals than I do on the deals where I'm the GP, where I'm the primary sponsor. And I don't have to work very hard for those LP investments. So I, I think that's the big thing. And I think that uh, most people don't adhere to that when they start out. But the busier you are, um, the the more important it is to find some good sponsors to start investing with. And the other is don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, um, don't, you know, try to find a platform where you have exposure to more to more deals, more sponsors, and so uh, and keep your um, keep your money in your pocket in regards to um, your education. In my opinion, especially if you're an LP, and and um, the resources that you need to be successful at this are out there; they're available, uh, and all of them can be found in one place. So you can go to the GOBnetwork.com and learn everything that any guru is ever going to teach you. We will provide you the tools and the resources that every guru out there has at their disposal. I have brought everything that I've ever learned from every guru into this platform. And I've shared all of it uh, in, in the 
hopes that uh, exercising the abundance mentality, uh, that that will come back to me someday. Uh, and if it does, that's fantastic. Um, and if it doesn't before I die, as long as this brings, you know, success to everyone else that's that's helping me build it, then I'll die a happy man. Very well said. So we're going to wrap up with a few speed questions for you, Jim. Um, these are basic uh, questions I think I, I think you will find very fun to answer. So the first one is, what is your favorite book of all time? Um, I've, I've read a ton of mindset books and started reading them very early in my life. But I think the one that had the biggest impact on my mindset, um, and maybe it was because I read it at such an early age, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that it's the absolute best book that's ever been written. But for me, it's the one that always resonate, resonates the most. And it's called The Magic of Thinking Big. Uh, and I think it was David Schwartz that uh, that wrote the book. It's a it's a relatively short book. If you've ever read Who Moved My Cheese, you know, it's like that. It's not a hard book to read. It's not a really long book. Um, but uh, if you're struggling, and, and they say that for most people, uh, the biggest struggle uh, is um, with yourself. You know, the the, mo the the opponent that you have to overcome uh, is yourself and your own limiting beliefs. And I think the magic of thinking big is very good at, at uh, exposing that and helping you overcome that. Awesome. What is the biggest mistake in your art, in your real estate career that you've made? And how did it help you get better as a person and as an investor? So that deal last year that I've referenced so many times in this call um, uh, was the biggest mistake uh, that I've ever made in my life uh, as far as the amount of money I lost. Um, and um, I, I wouldn't say the effect itself was the mistake. What I did wasn't a mistake, um, but I wasn't able to overcome the circumstances that uh, that I found myself in. So I don't know. Um, necessarily that that was a mistake, but it was the biggest setback um, in my real estate career. But the great news is, is it caused me to start the GOB network. So I ultimately, um, you know, I, I'm very happy uh, about this last year, including that setback, and uh, think it's probably the best year of my life. Well said. And the final question, if you had to start over today, but with the knowledge you have now, what would you do differently? Uh, number one, start investing in as many deals as I could, uh, as fast as I could, as often as I could. Uh, for especially anyone listening to this that has a day job, um, the, any money that you're putting aside into your IRA or 401k, outside of your company match, in other words, if your company matches everything that you put in up to the first $2,000, then that's you cannot get a better return on investment. So you absolutely should be doing that. But any penny over and above that, you should not be investing uh, in those types of assets. If you believe in the vehicle, start your own. Start your own 401k or, or uh, solo 401k or um, solo IRA, you know, individual IRA with checkbook control. But real estate from a tax advantage investment can provide you an even better tax advantage return than a 401k or an IRA. You just have to educate yourself on how. 
And so I would say start making investments in real estate. Let that shelter your income and start to grow. Because over, if you look at any comparison between real estate and the stock market, real estate, especially multifamily real estate, always wins. It has for the last 50 years. It has for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50, 100. And most of the wealth that is built, the long-term wealth in this country around the world is built in real estate. And most ultra high net worth individuals own a ton of real estate, not just because it produces so much income, but because it provides such a huge tax shelter. Well said. Well, Jim, we're going to wrap up this uh, this amazing interview episode now. I do want to thank you again for educating not only myself, but uh, our listeners and sharing your story and your why and how you've gotten to where you are now. So outside of the GOB network platform, how else can listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to do so? Uh, so LinkedIn is my preferred social media platform, uh, and I am uh, Jim Biggs One on LinkedIn. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I should pop up. I'm very easy to find on social media. But uh, you can also email me at jimbiggs at gmail, um, and um, and always you know love to talk to people and try to help them uh, in. Uh, break into real estate or or break into multifamily investing. But um, uh, I'm on the gobnetwork.com most of the time. Uh, so that's where I spend the majority of my time. Uh, so the easiest way to get in touch with me is is to, um, you know, look on those platforms and uh, and reach out. Awesome. Well, Jim, again, I want to thank you so much for your wealth of knowledge base and, and your expertise here. And to our listeners, I want to thank you so much for taking time to listen. And until next time, I am Mark Caesar. Have a great one. <laughs>